Are you ready to hear something that will make you feel pretty old? Next January marks 20 years since the movie The Singles Ward was released. The movie was Kirby Hayborn's first big break, and it led to starring roles in the RM and Best Two Years. And while he has had a few movie roles since then, including a dream role in the movie The Three Stooges, Hayborn's life hasn't turned out exactly like he may have thought it would 20 years ago. And yet... If you talk to him, it's clear he is totally okay with that. Kirby Hayborn is known as an actor, comedian, and a musician. But did you know he is also an award-winning audiobook narrator? He has narrated over 1,000 audiobooks. Most recently, Hayborn is the host of BYU TV's Making Good. This is All In, an LDS Living podcast where we ask the question, what does it really mean to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm Morgan Jones, and I am so excited to have Kirby Hayborn on the line with me today. Kirby, welcome. Woohoo, Morgan, we did it. (laughs) We made it through the intro, at least. I, I know, we made it through the intro. I've been such a huge fan of this podcast for a long time, and I never thought there would be a day that I'd get... A phone call from you saying, hey, do you want to do it? I mean, you've had some insane people on this podcast. Amazing testimonies, beautiful. I don't know how people people into doing this. (laughs) You do. So when when I heard, I was like, no way. I'll bring the level down a little bit. No, no, that's not true. Out of the parks and then, yeah. No, that's not true at all. And I actually think for me... This is like a very cool moment because I grew up watching you in the RM and best two years. And yeah. so, and I think a lot of people listening to this podcast, they'll be like, oh man, I love that guy. So first of all, before we, before we kind of get into what you're doing currently, I just wondered if we could kind of take like a trip down memory lane Oh yeah. and <laughs> because everybody loves that. And I wondered if you could tell us some of your best memories from making those movies, the RM singles word, best two years. And, and what are some of your best memories from that time in your life? It was a transition time in my life. I was working in finance and just not happy um, dealing with that. I I always wanted to be an actor or a musician at the time I, I was in a band and we were traveling regionally uh, we were a big hit, almost made it all the way up to Idaho with the band, which would have been a huge deal. <laughs> Get out of Utah. If you, if you had made it to Boise? If we would have made it to Boise with the band. Yeah. But then just some opportunities came up and I'd always loved acting. I think that's one thing you do growing up as a member of the church. You're, you give a talk when you're four years old in primary. You're speaking as a young adult in sacrament meeting in front of everybody. So I don't know, you're used to performing and singing and doing all that. And I don't know if you're old enough to remember, but we did road shows when I was little. So I was in Singles Ward and what a beautiful opportunity. So the the people that I met on that are people uh, that would give the shirt off their backs to you. Funny guys, beautiful people. And it just kind of opened my eyes to a new way of one, making money, and then two, being a, a part of a bigger family. So the guys at Hellstorm, Dave Hunter and Kurt Hale, they became like brothers to me. 
And so right after Singles Ward, they said, hey, we have, we want to do another one and we'd love for you to be the main guy. You, are you interested? And it was kind of like, wait, I'm going to be on the All In podcast? <laughs> it was kind of like that. Uh, you're, you guys want me to be the, the main guy in a movie? And they said, yeah, let's do it. So I think for me, the, those early days were just, there was a brotherhood that I, I've never had like that before. And to this day, like, gosh, how many years later? It'll be 20 years this year. That's a long time. That is crazy. That, that I became brothers with these guys and it kind of opened up a way for me to be able to... I feel like it's my my calling in life to help people be happy and to make people laugh and to bring joy and help them see and feel the love of Heavenly Father. And this was the way the, the doors were open for me to be able to do that. Up until that point, you know, I brought joy to people by being funny at little get-togethers or selling life insurance to somebody. You know, that's a big deal, making a, uh, helping people out that way. But it wasn't until I was in this industry of acting that I realized I could. It's on such a, a grander scale, and being able to meet people after the movies came out, and being able to spend time one-on-one with them made me realize this is what Heavenly Father wants me to do. He wants me to take this time with each individual, let them know that God loves them, and there's nothing better. And on top of it, I get paid to do it. Is that crazy? Yeah, yeah. Well, and I I heard on this, I listened to a couple of interviews with you in preparation for this, and I heard where you said, you know, you were the leading role in this movie but it wasn't like you were making millions. Right. And so right. you were like, I still live in a small subdivision in Lehigh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And my neighbors are like, is that you on this movie? So I think that's an interesting element of like being in a Latter-day Saint film. But I also think those movies made such an impression on like a generation of Latter-day Saints because I think a good portion of us can probably quote something from one of those movies and it comes up in just like everyday conversation. So how did you see the the movies making an impact and did that make an impression on you? So in the beginning, I had no clue that people would like them. I, I just was happy to be on set with these guys and be a part of, like I said, this family and this brotherhood. It wasn't until after a couple of years after best two years came out. And it's so amazing to have people say, because of the character Elder Calhoun, I decided to go on a mission. Or because of the movie Best Two Years, I converted to the church. I've had a, a number of people say that they didn't understand what the church was until they saw Best Two Years. And when they saw that they're just these young, beautiful, earnest young men and, and young women serving these missions, that's when they realized, oh, this is, they're not some mysterious cult or weird people doing weird things. They're just kids really doing their best. And that made them want to open up the doors to the missionaries. And I love just- that. I love the people that, that that movie is so important to some people. I, I was in line with somebody at a shake, what are the, the shaved ice places, you know, all over yeah, like, Utah. Yeah, the little like huts. Yeah, the little hut things. And there was a, a man who was 
really large, like I think at least eight feet tall. I'm not <laughs> exaggerating. No, a little bit. Um, and he saw me in line and he turned around and he started crying saying, because of best two years, he came back to the church. And I love that. And I know it wasn't me. I just was playing a character, but I was a part of something that helped bring people back to the fold or even initially into the fold or encourage them to go on a mission. That's a beautiful thing to be a part of that. Yeah. And I think that goes, goes along with that's what Heavenly Father has wanted me to do. And this was just one, one small treasure that I've been able to see some of the fruit seeing these people happy. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about what you've been doing since those movies, because I think you've had kind of a fascinating career. And what a lot of people don't know is that you are an award-winning audiobook narrator. So tell me how one gets into audiobook narrating. And I really, I listened to a podcast where you talked about this, and I was so impressed by your perspective and recognizing that this was something, an opportunity that God had given you. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Oh, that's absolutely the case. I firmly believe that uh, we think we know who we are and what our path is supposed to be. And so we ignore times when God opens up a window of opportunity. We think, no, but this, this is the way that I'm supposed to go. I want to be the titular character in a sitcom. That's why we moved to Los Angeles was so that I could be, uh, you know, the main guy on a sitcom. But along the way, Heavenly Father was opening these windows of opportunity saying, this is, is what you can do. This is how you can bring more joy and more happiness to people. And it was the audiobook world. I was in a play in Los Angeles about a year after we moved there, struggling, you know, we moved with nothing. And we're in LA and I'm taking jobs, shredding legal documents and auditioning for commercials. I had booked a couple of commercials, but still I, I needed to support my family. My, we had two kids at the time, babies, like two and then six months. They were, they were babies anyway. And I did a play in Los Angeles and I hate plays. I love watching them. I hate being in them because right. I do improv and I like to just make up stuff off the cuff. Or when you're uh, filming a movie or a TV show, you only need to know like two pages of the script a day and then you forget it. And even then I'm an improv guy, so I don't even know all the lines then <laughs> I make them up. Uh, and so to have to know the whole play every night is just, I don't know if I'm lazy or I just don't have that much brain capacity. So I counseled with my wife and she said, this is an opportunity. You should take it. We came to LA so that you can be an actor. And this is a, another opportunity, another iron that you can put in your fire, another way of us to make money. You're moving forward in your career. So I did it. And I didn't know the sound designer of the play. That's the person that makes the, the sound effects. You know, if there's raindrops or music, they're the person that designed that, put it together, and then they push play in the appropriate parts during the performance so that the audience gets that aural experience. He happened to be the executive producer for Random House Books on Tape, which 20 years ago was the biggest, and still is, they're like the world's biggest uh, audiobook and regular publisher, Penguin Random House. He was doing a favor for the the author of the play. 
And uh, he came up to me and said, are you interested in doing an audiobook? And I said, well, well, I thought, what's an audiobook? <laughs> and then he explained what they do. And, and I said, I would love to. And I was so thankful that I like to think that it was me, but it was my wife really hearing the windows that Heavenly Father was opening, hearing the little creaks, you know, here's a window that, that we took that opportunity. And it absolutely, because of that, I was able to provide for my family. And, you know, it's not glamorous or sexy when you think about health insurance and pensions and stuff like that, when you think of being an actor. But when you're a blue collar actor, like I am, and things like that matter. And so it's because of these audiobooks that are part of the, uh, their union productions that we get health insurance and I have a retirement. And if I didn't have that, I wouldn't be where I am today, being able to continue doing what I love. And like I said, continuing to do what I feel like Heavenly Father wants me to do. Yeah. And you now have recorded over a thousand books. Is that right? Yes. A lot. That's insane. That is a lot, isn't it? When you say that number, that's, that's a big number. And before I started narrating, you know, I read required books in school and stuff, maybe a book a year. I average between 60 and 80 books a year. Yeah. That, that I read. Crazy. So I, I wondered, you correct me if I'm wrong, but you do some books that are ones with voices. Do you like those more than just like a reading straight through? I do because I love doing characters and accents. And um, my niche really is I do a lot of young adult audiobooks. Right. And so I narrate uh, Brandon Mull's uh, Fable Haven. Yes. Yeah. So it's right after Fable Haven. They do Dragon Watch. And so I get to, I get to be dragons and I get to do great voices. It's so fun. Yeah. Do you have like a favorite book that you've narrated? There are definitely some that I've cried during because they were so <laughs> beautiful. I am such a nerd. I love church history. And I was fortunate enough to narrate the second volume of Saints. Oh, no way. Um, yeah. And, and I'm about ready to start volume three of Saints. And I just, I love church history. So I can't believe that I got, I get paid to do it. That's how everything that I do, it's like, wait, you're going to pay me to do this? I would do it for free. Right, right. Um, Maybe don't say that too loud. I know. Somebody I might know. hear you, Kirby. Delete that from the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> don't let people know that I would do it for free because yeah. it is, it's so amazing. And the, I, I would have read uh, the history of the church saints anyway, but right. then to be able to give voice to it. And the thing that I loved is when the church history department approached me, they said, you know, you've done so many audiobooks, and we would love to utilize, we, we love the way that you narrate and you add personality to the characters. And they said, that's what we want you to do with, with this. And oh, so when you listen to it, like when I'm doing George Q. Cannon, he's, he was from Liverpool. So I did just a slight Liverpudlian accent, not too much to get in the way of the content, but it was so fun to research. Like what part of Liverpool was he from? What did this dialect sound like? And then pulling back, you know, 98% so that it didn't interfere with the information but then looking up all of these amazing men and women from church history and then being able to give them life and give their, their voices a uh, voice, you know? Right, right. 
That's so cool. I had no idea that you did that. So I'm glad that you brought that up. I want to talk a little bit, Kirby, about the media industry, because I think that this is something that probably a lot of people listening can relate to, whether it be an effort to get into music or acting or something like that, or just trying to get into any job. I think the job industry in general is hard right now. And you've talked about how people make promises and very easily those promises can be taken away. So you can think like you've got an opportunity in the bag and then something falls through. And to me, when I hear you talk about that, I'm like, okay, so the lesson that I take away from this is like, trust no one. (laughs) (laughs) Trust no one. (laughs) But I love that you said that you felt like you had learned as a result of that that you're in control of your own happiness. And so I wondered what you've learned about finding happiness as you are also handling rejection and disappointment. Wow, what a great question. That That's absolutely true, though. You have to be the author of your own joy. And, and that goes, I feel like that's how this, what the Savior teaches us in every aspect of our lives, it's you know, we're not supposed to judge other people. We can't take away other people's agency. It it all boils down to you and your relationship with Heavenly Father. And in the acting entertainment industry, you hear no all the time. You hear people say, you're too tall, you're too short, you're too thin, you're too fat, you're, you're too good looking. Man, if I took so many times, get that one all the time, all the time. Uh, no, um, you're just not enough of one thing or another. And if you let that color your perception of yourself, then you're you're just a bunch of no's. You're, and I think that's been good for me to hear all that to really rely on my relationship with Heavenly Father. And throughout my career, you know, I've I've had people like some choices I've made and not like some choices I've made. Some books get great reviews. Some books, people hate my voice. And at the end of it, it's it just has to be between. And everything I line up with, am I being a good husband and a good father? And then everything else I, I feel like is not as important. If somebody doesn't like the... If I put them to sleep when I was narrating a book that's all right. I got paid and I paid for food for my family. Somebody out there liked it. And I think that's how it is with the gospel too, that there's so many beautiful aspects of the gospel that only Heavenly Father knows if you're living them or not. At the end of the day, only Heavenly Father knows your thoughts and you can feel good with yourself or be worried about what other people are thinking of you. And I think that's been good for me during my career as, as an actor, realizing that it doesn't matter what other people think, as long as I know when I lay my head down at night, that Heavenly Father is happy with my performance that day. I have on my phone, um, there's a great quote that President Monson, I don't know if he had it on his fridge or, or somewhere, that it said to remind him every day, Today is my day of opportunity. Do not let it go to waste. So I have every day at seven o'clock on my phone, a reminder that comes up saying that. And I think that helps me appreciate the day that I've been blessed with and realize that at the end of the day, 
if I follow that, if I let this day really be an opportunity, Heavenly Father is going to be happy with me at the end of end of the day. I don't even know if I answered your question. I got off. No, you did. You did. And I think, you know, I think there's a lot of truth to that idea of, this is probably like getting too personal, but in, on this podcast, sometimes people will say, you know, you talk too slow or you don't enunciate your T's. And (laughs) I am from the South. I do speak slower and I probably don't speak perfectly. And so So how do you deal with that? Well, I think it, it goes back to what you were saying. I, I think I recognize that heavenly father has given me an opportunity and it may be an opportunity that I don't entirely deserve, but I am going to do my very best. And so I'll take that constructive criticism, the criticism that I feel like I can do something with and try to do better, but also recognize that for whatever reason, heavenly father thinks that I'm okay enough to do what I'm doing. And that until he takes that opportunity away from me, it's what he wants for me. So it's I the, think he's given you these talents and he's saying, what are you going to do with these talents? Are you going to let other people criticize you or are you going to multiply these talents? That's beautiful, Morgan. I love what you said, Morgan, too, that God has given you this opportunity. And what are you going to do with the short time that you have this? Because it is true. It, it could be someday Deseret Book says, hey, guess what? We want We're a, done. a male voice for this, you know? Yeah. I think Kirby's available to do the all in podcast. <laughs> Let them Kirby, know I am. <laughs> are you making a run for my job? <laughs> I'm trying. It's mutiny, Morgan. Um, <laughs> no, but that I love that. And whether it's your, your the time that God has given you as a mother with this child or as a teacher at school this school year, what are you doing with this opportunity that God has given you? Because that's going to be taken away. The, your kid is going to grow up. How did you make that? How did you multiply that talent? How did you make other people's lives better? Oh, I love that thought. I'm going to keep I'm going to steal that and say that I came up with it. Perfect. You can um, have it. I'll yeah. give it to you freely. It's really probably not that great of a thought. But no, it's great. I, it's like uh, Michael Scott from The Office when he quotes Wayne Gretzky. Do you remember that? I don't know if you remember. But yeah. The, what was the quote? I, I can't remember. Like winners win. Okay. Michael Scott quoting Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> I love it. Well, I, I'm a big, anybody that listens to this podcast knows that I love Kelly Clarkson with yeah. like all that I am. And she, <laughs> she said, yeah, I'm not kidding. But she, she says, cause people were like, you know, you're doing like all of these different things and how are you doing all of these different jobs? And she was like, well, you only matter until you don't. Oh, that's true. Meaning like at some point, nobody's going to care. And so you just like work super hard to achieve whatever opportunity to accomplish whatever opportunity God is giving you and recognize that, like you said, at some point, that opportunity is not going to be on the table. And I think when you do that, then that plays hand in hand with being happy right now. When you realize that this is a divine opportunity and you look at every moment, every interaction with every person as a, a beautiful divine opportunity to lift that person, I think that helps you be happy now because you realize, I know it's cliche, but the present is a gift. And when you 
realize that, you, you realize I'm happy now and I'm going to do my best with what I have right now. Right. Right. You appreciate everything a little bit more. Kirby, I want to come back to something that you said a, a few minutes ago. And you mentioned some people have been critical of decisions that you've made in your career. And some of that criticism has come very publicly. Mm. And I listened to an interview and read an article where you kind of talked about this. And you said that you and your wife had been really prayerful about those decisions, that it wasn't something that you took lightly. And so I wondered what you've learned through those experiences about having confidence in personal revelation. I think sometimes when people are critical of us, it can be easy to kind of second guess and be like, did I get that wrong? What have you learned through those experiences about having confidence in, in the revelation that you've received? I think because of that experience, because a lot of the criticism came from members of my own church, which you would think uh, wouldn't be the case. You would think uh, for, for the longest time, I had so many people supporting me and excited for me to go to Los Angeles and be a voice of, of faith in the industry. And then to have those people criticizing choices that I made was, it was very hurtful. Some of the emails that I got, some of the messages that I got were just so angry and, and blaming me for any wrongdoings that their kids may do in the future, because I've let them down. It was really hurtful. And for a a good hot minute, I was just, I was hurt. I don't think I was ever angry with them, but you feel defensive. And it made me question, we we did pray about this, right? We felt good about this. What does that mean if all of these other people from my faith are saying, what a horrible human being I am? Not just, hey, that was a wrong decision. Maybe in the future, do something different. But attacking my character, attacking my, my standing in the church. And like, that was hurtful. And I think, I think I needed that experience to realize that, yeah, I did receive an answer. And I think we can, when we reflect on our life and we're looking for those moments of conversion and when we're looking for moments where we felt the spirit strongly, moments that we can't deny it, for me, it's I can count those on one hand. And but it's those one or two moments that we've experienced throughout our life where the spirit was so strong saying, yes, this is truth. This is uh, the path that you need to be on. Those one or two moments are what need to carry us through the valleys and the hard parts. And when we're struggling with faith, we need to reflect back on those moments. So for me, I think this was a moment where it solidified for me one that I can count on this personal revelation that I had received. And then two, that it's between Heavenly Father and me. At the end of the day, Heavenly Father knows if I'm a good husband or father, or if I'm a good minister, or if I'm fulfilling my calling is whatever it is at the time, a primary chorister. Only Heavenly Father knows if, if, and to quote this podcast, if I'm all in or not, it can't be somebody else looking at me saying, nope, he's, he's not all in. So I think that experience 
for sure solidified that for me. And I count that as one of my few times in my life where I felt the spirit and the confirmation. And I think that's helped me move forward, trusting in myself and trusting in my relationship with Heavenly Father. I love that because I think you're right. We we do all have those moments where we're able to point back and be like, well, I know I received some personal revelation then and I know God spoke to me then and I know he cares about my life. And so if I'm doing this wrong, he's going to stop me. If I'm doing it right, he'll continue to to bless me. And I think there's a lot of confidence to be had in that. I I want to talk before we wrap up. I want to talk about your new TV show, Making Good. I think it's so fun. And I watched, I kind of binged it a little bit yesterday in preparation for this. And so you seek out people and charitable organizations that are making good, making a difference in the world. So tell me a little bit, Kirby, about how this show came to be and how you became involved with it. A good friend of mine, Greg Kiefer, we had done some commercials 20 years ago when I was first starting out. And then we did a movie together. And then over the years, we've stayed in contact and continuously, you know, calling back and forth saying, we got to find something that we can do, another thing fun that we can do together. And then it slowly progressed to let's not only do something fun, but let's do something that's going to make a difference in the world. And so Greg had this idea and he pitched it to me and I loved it. And the whole pitch was you go and join nonprofit organizations, you get in way over your head. You might even get hurt a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> and then you it's so that we can see that there are people making a difference in the world. And I loved the idea. And then I said, well, I, I want to add more to that. Let's make sure everything is, you know, that I get to be funny in it, that I can serve, that I love getting in over my head. And then I said, I would also love to... Uh, because coming back to, I thought I was going to be a musician when I was growing up. And I said, I would love to write a song for every organization for every episode. And he said, really? That You do realize how hard that is going to be. I said, I would love to do that. I, I feel like that is a way for me to show them that I appreciate what they're doing. And so he said, great, let's do it. So then we pitched it to uh, BYU TV. They thought it was great. And now we're coming up on, we're just finishing filming our third season. But the third season starts airing today. If you're listening live, you can watch the show. And it's yeah. the best thing I've ever been a part of. I've been an actor for 20 years. And this family that I've been able to join of amazing people has just been, it's, it's, increased exponentially working with Greg and the team there. The people on the crew are amazing from the story producer to the producer producer to people that work in the office. Everybody is special. And I feel like we've all been prepared to be a part of this show at this time. I would have loved to 20 years ago when I was starting my career have been told, Hey, great. We've got the show. You're going to be the host. You get to have fun and, uh, get in over your head, I would have died to do something like that. But in hindsight, I realized I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready spiritually, emotionally, physically, in every way I was not ready 20 years ago. It's taken all of the experience that I've had through my life, 
developing my relationship with my heavenly father, developing relationships with other people in the industry to be able to get to the point where we can make this TV show. And it came at the perfect time. I think that's a really cool thing to be able to look at and acknowledge like, you know, you may not have been ready for it then, but you are ready for it now. And the things that have prepared you for this opportunity, I love, and I want to compliment you because one thing that struck me watching the show and even in this interview is Kirby, you are very good at connecting with people and making them feel valued and important and asking questions of other people. And I just, I was impressed watching, I was watching the episode where you were participating with the nonprofit for hearing impaired children. Yes. And you were talking to this lady and I just thought he's so good at like making her feel like what she's doing matters. And of course it does. It does. Right. How often do people working in situations like that, how often are they truly appreciated for what they're doing? And oftentimes people have devoted their lives to a cause that they often don't get the spotlight or have somebody make them feel like they've done something really great. And so I think you do an incredible job of that. Thank you. And I love doing it. And that goes to the point of I wasn't ready so many times in my life, especially starting out my career, it's, okay, what's next? What can I do? Who can help me? And it's taken me this time to come back and realize, I just need to focus on the person in front of me. I need to listen to them, let them know that they are loved and that I can recognize the divinity of our Father in Heaven in them. And when I've done that, I'm edified. I feel like they're, they feel recognized and heard. and. I wouldn't have been able to do that 20 years ago. It's just this journey and this, I feel like my evolving relationship with my faith and with my heavenly father that I realized that's my job. Yeah. My job that I get paid to do is to be funny and interview people and, you know, make songs and stuff. But really my job is to help people realize that heavenly father loves them. And recognize that divinity in them. And when I'm doing that, everything just falls into place. Every single episode will, by the end of uh, next month, we will have had 30 episodes. Every single one, it feels like when we're done with it, it was lightning in a bottle. There's no way we can duplicate that again. But every time it works out, we always have an outline and we know what type of beats that we want to hit and information we want to get from the people. But it isn't until we're there and I'm really listening that we can see where the story really is. We did an episode at the Utah State Prison. We thought it was going to be about the the inmates learning music and performing a Christmas concert. But we realized it was really about this man who runs the program. It was really a love story between him and his wife. This man who volunteers almost daily at the Utah State Penitentiary, he does this out of love for human beings, but more out of a love for his wife. She comes with him and she's knitting in the chapel pews there in the prison. But it's things like that that we keep our eyes open and we see what is this really about. It's yeah. Beautiful. Well, and I think I think everybody 
has a story and and oftentimes there's so much more than meets the eye and so you could look at that guy you know and think like here's this guy that works in this prison volunteers in this prison and then you you start to kind of peel back the layers and you're like wow everybody everybody there's a lot more to them than what we can see on the show you like like we said you interact with all of these different nonprofits is there one in your mind that stands out as just wow this really made an impression on me goodness they all do i try to not get emotional in every episode but it's so hard to see the good that people are doing and to see how it affects the, those recipients, goodness, it, I, it's like, which one of my kids is my favorite? Yeah. Uh, and I'll tell you, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I um, won't tell you which episode I like best, but I will tell you who my favorite child is. Yeah, exactly. Every single one is special and for a different reason. The one that's most recent on my mind is the latest one that we filmed. So it will be, it won't air until fall, but it's just one person making a difference. And that's what it boils down to. And that's what I've seen. And that was the inspiration for the show. Greg and I want people to, at the end of the day, do one of two things. One, either join up with an organization similar to the one that we're highlighting you know, or, or donate to that organization. Cause that's the sad thing about nonprofits. They're nonprofit. They need, they live off of donations. They need funding or two to inspire somebody to go out and do something good themselves. So, uh, yeah, those are our two goals. Join up with somebody doing good or go out and do good. And so the, the ones that touch me the most are every single one, because it all comes down to one person thinking, I see a problem and I want to fix it. And that's so inspiring. It's just one person that makes a difference. And some of these organizations are huge and making an impact uh, nationwide, some of them worldwide, because one person said, I want to see, uh, I want to help whatever, if, if it's dogs that are old or if it's kids who can't hear and want to learn how to speak. There's one person that has that vision. And I feel like it, they, when they take that vision and work at it, Heavenly Father blesses them. Whether they're a believer in divinity or not, they still recognize that something inside them is moving them to do good. I like to recognize it when I'm there with them, say, this is what God wants you to do. And you're making a difference. And some of them, I I tell them that uh, you are God's hands. You're doing exactly what he would want to be done to his children. And some of them receive it really well. I would say all of them receive it well. There've been a couple that were like, yeah, okay, I guess so. Right. (laughs) Um, You crazy religious guy. Yeah. But I think, I think you're right. You know, even if people are not religious, there's something inside of us that helps us know, like you're on the right track. You're doing a good thing. Kirby, I wondered for you as you've, because I know like whatever we spend our time doing, whoever we spend our time around that tends to rub off on us. And so when you're devoting so much time to learning about and engaging with these people that are, are making a big difference in the world, have you noticed it changing you personally? 
Oh, absolutely. I think it's helped me realize that I need to see good everywhere. And it's helped me be less judgmental. Some of these, like especially the prison episode, I went into that terrified of inmates. You hear stories of of prison and I'm going to be in the heart of that for a week and just terrified. I, I Stupid thoughts went through my head. Like, what if I get kidnapped or I'm like, those were my thoughts going into it. And one of the, the guards had said, do not give them any type of information. They will use it against you. No matter how kind they seem, they will use that against you. So I go in just terrified even to tell them my name. Right. And by the end of that, the three or four days that we spent with them, I loved every single one of those men. There was a change in me once I went from looking at them as their sin to looking at them as sons of God. My perspective changed. And I think that's what's happened with this show is that I can look at people if they even people in prison and I try to see the divinity in them. And it was so interesting too in that episode in the beginning the the inmates really you know they're they're like some of them felt like they had been beaten into submission figuratively and they wouldn't make eye contact with you and just well it's nice to meet you thank you for coming and they would occasionally glance up but by the end once they knew that I recognized the divinity in them they looked me in the eye and I wish we could have but there were guards and it's rules you can't hug you know but I wanted to hug every single one of them and I, and it went from looking at them as oh I wonder what they did to be in here to look at the good that they're doing right yeah that's so cool. Well, Kirby, it has been such a treat to talk with you. And I think I love what you said there at the end, because I think that that is something that is a rare gift. And I always appreciated it as a missionary, like the opportunity to help somebody feel hopefully Heavenly Father's love through me and his confidence in them. And so I think that it's neat that you feel like you're able to get a get a taste of the way that Heavenly Father must feel about those those inmates. My last question for you, Kirby, and you know this is coming, is what does it mean to you to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ? I think it's just in that phrase, you're either all in or you're not. There's a quote by uh, a great uh, physicist. I, I can't remember his name. Let's just say it was me. Let's say I'm a physicist. I don't know. Okay. But he okay. says, uh, be your best or be something else. You have to be all in. You have to give it your all. You have to be your best, even in the smallest calling in the church, because you're doing it for the Savior and you're doing it for our Heavenly Father. So being all in is as simple as just when you're there, be present. When you're walking down your street in your neighborhood and in your ward boundaries, love the people that you're with. You're in an area for a reason. So for me, it's you're either all in or you're not. You can't be lukewarm in the gospel. You have to be all in. 
Thank you, Kirby. Thank you so much. It's been such a treat to talk to you. Thank you so much, Morgan. We are so grateful to Kirby Hayborn for joining us on this week's episode. Be sure to check out the season three premiere of Making Good, which just came out today, April 7th on BYU TV. You can watch live at 5.30 and 8.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time or online at BYUtv.org or on the BYU TV app. A huge thank you to Derek Campbell of Mix at Six Studios for his help with this episode. And thank you so much for listening. We'll be with you again next week.